Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Religious Zionism, modern Orthodoxy, and every, everything in between. I am Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Rav Johnny Solomon. Hello, Rav Johnny. Hello. How are you? How are you doing? You nice, I'm uh... doing very, very well, thanks. Okay. Uh, beginning of semester. And, uh... Oh, right. The Yeshivot, the open order in. That's so lovely. Okay. Uh, we had great. our first classes today. Nice. Uh, Rav Johnny is a teacher at Midrash at Lindenbaum. Where, where were you today, by the way? Lindenbaum? No, online, and, online with Lindenbaum. The, uh, the oh, because the girls are in Bidud. That's yeah. why? Nice. Yeah. MTVA and Matan. He is an editor at Mosaic Press, a virtual rabbi, and an independent Jewish education consultant. Rav Johnny also writes a daily thought on Dafyomi and is the post to his local shul in Evan Shmuel. We're also here with Harabanit Mali Brovsky. Hello, Harabanit Mali. How are you? Hello. Okay. <laughs> Uh, did you guys start also? Are you also online Zoom with the? Uh, are, you, are you teaching? No, I actually no, I'm not teaching this year, which is a big uh, revelation. But I will I will reveal it different week when we don't have an esteemed guest. And I okay, you're going to miss it soon. We'll get to our guest in a second. Rabinit Mali Bravs, he's a senior faculty member and and the director of Shana Bet program and the in-house social worker at MMY. She's also a clinical social worker with a private practice in practice in Gush Etzion. She's working currently also serving as a field advisor for YU's Words Wireless School of Social Work in Israel. I am Ruben Spolter. I am the director of the Rimonim Teacher Training Program at the Herzog Academic College in Israel and the Shorashim representative for Sohar for English-speaking countries. And I'm also the founder and director of Kitai.org, the online class Jewish classroom for families. Hello, everybody. That's me. We are, as Molly mentioned, we are here with our esteemed guest, Rabbi Yoshua Grunstein of Ortor Stone. Rabbi Yoshua, I've known him in my, I, I got to know him very, very well. I've known him for years and my work is so hard. And, uh, and uh, in, the, in my, the time that I spent working for Torah Stone in the Amiel Institute, he was formerly the rabbi of Beth Israel Synagogue in Halifax, Canada, which is way up there in the north, and the administrator at the Rabbinical Court of Gush Etzion. He's, he's on the founding faculty of the English-speaking Kolol and Efrat. And he's written a bunch of books, many of them about davening. Daven Your Age, Beyond Routine, and he's a co-editor of the Machzor Vechaibayan put out by Oratora Stone. And he's got zillions of classes on YU Torah online and I'm sure a zillion other places as well. But why did we have Rabbi Yoshua here? Can I call you Rabbi Yoshua? Is that okay? 
Anything you call me, I answer to. I answer to many names. That is technically not true, but I know that from experience, but that's good. Okay. I won't share what my wife calls me. Uh, we've we've, uh, we've had Rabbi Yoshua on, because Rabbi Yoshua recently penned um, uh, a book called Musings of a Minioner, which is a compendium of shiurim that he gave uh, and halachic issues that, that, that came up surrounding the challenges posed by modern tefillah and the way that we daven and the problems that come up with davening. And we thought that like, as we're, we're, we're going through Elul and we're, we're approaching Rosh Hashanah, this is a great opportunity to sort of step back and, and try to talk together about the, like, exactly what Rabbi Yoshua raises, which are the challenges of tefillah, some of the difficulties, and maybe some of the solutions, which we all uh, really appreciated very much. So Rabbi Yoshua, I don't know if you've been asked to do this. We didn't tell you we're going to ask you to do this, but in, uh, I don't know, in a couple of minutes, Give us a, a brief synopsis of what, what the book is about, some of the topics you covered, and some of your favorite juicy highlights that we can discuss. With pleasure. First of all, thank you for having me. It's going to be rather surreal for me to actually speak to this podcast because I'm usually just listening to it. But nice. I'm going to try to uh, overcome that challenge. Um, the book that I uh, recently published basically deals with uh, an issue that I think is close to all our hearts, and that is we spend many, many hours in shul. And yet most people don't necessarily walk away from shul inspired. And what I basically try to uh, suggest in the book is that I don't believe it's because the sitter is at fault or the language we use or the things we ask for, but rather it's the way we run minyanim in a typical shul. The prayer service is being run in a, way, in a certain way in most shuls. And I believe that there's a lot to be fixed in terms of the way and the manner that it's being run. So therefore, in the book, um, Musings of a Millionaire, I try to deal with many of these issues, such as the length of davening. I believe that we are davening together for far too long. We're saying parts and segments of the service that don't necessarily need to be said in a minion, and we just prolong the service for no, I would say, virtuous reason, which of course leads to boredom and leads to the fact that people try to do other things. I uh, dealt with the numerous, numerous recitations of Kaddish, of Mishabeirachs, and other such things that happen in a, in a basic service. And I have to be honest, the truth of the matter is when I walk into shul, I see too many people doing too many things other than davening. During the week, I see them on their phones quite frequently. On Shabbos, without the phones, they're using Parsha sheets and other such books to get through the service. There's a lot going on in shul, but not necessarily davening. And what I try to deal with in the book is why and how can we solve those problems? In a word, I'd like to say that uh, the whole book is about one thing, and that is to take away excuses. There's a lot that we have to work on in order to have, I would say, a substantial and a meaningful davening service. However, there's a lot of things on the tangents that are preventing us from doing so, and therefore what I'm trying to do in the book is to take away those excuses. Molly. Yeah. Share some of your thoughts. You went through the book. You had, you had a lot to say. I did. So please. I, I, I did. I wanted to say, first of all, that um, the book really resonated with me. I wanted to just thank you, Ray Gunstein, because um, first of all, I want to mention, I think, something that uh, we've all been thinking about. This issue came up not just because we're, we're approaching Ella, but also because COVID has brought home to people, um, you know, the backyard binyanim and not being in shul. Um, it's 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 um, exposed a certain hesitancy about going back to shul. And I think for that reason, this is also a very relevant book. But on a personal note, as I read the book, I found it really resonated with me because of my year in Avelos. 
Um, it was the first time in my life that I went to Minyan three times a day. And I have to say, I really, and I dive in three times a day. I've always dive in three times a day. I think you did dive in three times a day. But I, and unlike, uh, I think Rajani will have a different perspective and perhaps Ruby as well. Um, I did not enjoy davening in Shul. I did not enjoy davening with Minyan. And I, I, the book really resonated with me. And, and I think one of the strengths of this book, one of the reasons I really enjoyed it is because of the way you lay it out. Basically what you do is you present an issue. And then what you do is you say, what's the challenge here? And when you talk about the challenge, you're really honest and you really break down what the challenge is, right? So when you talk, for example, about Kaddish and you say, there are just too many Kaddishes or there are too many times that people have to be responsive. And you, and you don't just kind of finger wag at people and say, no, 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 behave better. You explain, people are bored. It's long, it's hard to pay attention. And that really resonated with me that you really broke down. You didn't just say to people, everybody knows that, People have a hard time paying attention. You explained why people have a hard time paying attention in every single one of the areas. And I really appreciate that. You really explained what the issue is, what the, what the challenge is. Your suggestions were therefore based off a very concrete analysis, which I thought were psychologically very insightful as to what the issues are. So that's that's just my comment. Well, Molly, can you go into a couple of specifics that we're talking about? And our, our listeners, most of them have not read the book yet. So do okay. you have any specifics? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mind no, all of them. Well, all of them, but I just- pick two, I don't know. Sure. Okay, I'll, pick, I'll just pick the first one that I'm, you know, I'm looking at the, like, you know, the, right now, um, the very beginning of the book, we talk about like, um, and then there are like, there's like 16 goddesses, there's one before, there's one after, and then the pressure is how I have to get there before the first one, and there will be a shmuel, and what if there's a society, and I have to, right? And, and unless I got it wrong, because I kind of skimmed the book, your suggestion is, everybody should start with Sukhita Zimra to themselves. There's no chiyot to start with Zimra with the tzibur. And I loved, so, so again, I loved the way you were honest about, it just adds extra time. And if you do it responsibly with a minion, everybody's got to go the same, same pace. And you have to wait. And it's schleppy. And you have to say your thing. And you have to say their thing. What you said was, open the doors to the shul 20 minutes early. Everybody can come in. Everybody can dump them at their own pace. You can use it as a time to have kavana, you can, which is what it's meant for. You can use it as a time to kind of ease into the davening. And then if I, you can correct me if I, you know. And, wait, wait, I, did you, according to, I, I miss this. According to Rabbi Yoshua, according to your suggestion, is there a Kaddish at the beginning or there's no Kaddish? You get rid of the Kaddish at the beginning. Because once you, you have that Kaddish at the beginning, Kaddish. once you have that Kaddish at the beginning, that, that frames it, doesn't that? That gives you a certain amount of time to say Tsukita Zimra. Actually, so you're sort uh, of stuck. Actually, Molly, uh, you got it exactly. You got mm -hmm. it precisely, and I couldn't have said it better. Um, to answer your question, Rav Reuven, indeed, uh, I suggested that the Kaddish at the beginning should not be said unless there's a very strong request from the 10 people that come 20 minutes early to say at least one Kaddish before Psyche de Zimra. In other words, it's not an obligatory Kaddish, and I don't believe it should be said in a perfect world. However, I can't be dishonest with another thing, and that is emotionally for many of us that went through that mm -hmm. year of uh, Avelut, like Molly just mentioned, that Kaddish is very important, or any Kaddish is important. I'm not so sure four per service is important, but at least one. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion was every service should have one. Shachrit, Mincha, and Mayrith. On Shabbos, I suggested two altogether. You mean one, one at the at end? You mean one at the end? Exactly, I'm, one I'm, at the end. I, I, I read that and I was like, yay, but I know that there are going to be very vocal people who will who will completely reject that idea and say, you don't, you're not even going to take one Kaddish away from me. Like it's a fight to take away the Kaddish between Aleinu and the David Hashem Uri in some shuls. That's you know? correct. That's correct. However, when you go through the sources, you see that, first of all, our rabbis were very sensitive to having too many Kaddishes, not because of time, but because it's just the wrong thing to do. And second of all, as I, as Molly mentioned, the time aspect, not just for the 
congregation to be attentive to your Kaddish, Mali, during your year of Avelut, but more importantly, for you to be attentive. I mean, Kaddish after Kaddish, how much Kavana can you have? And therefore, I suggested that indeed, at the beginning of Pesukei de Zimra, everyone should say it until Yishtabach on their own, only if there's a request to have one Kaddish there. And at the end of davening, exactly the same thing. One Kaddish after Aleinu, or if you're davening Nusach Spart in a different place, and that, I believe, allows the Avelim to say Kaddish, allows people to be attentive to answer the Kaddish, and not overburdens either or. Uh, just this morning, I told someone that uh, he noticed I didn't fold my tefillin when Kaddish began. I stopped. And I said, well, it's based on a Mishnah Brewer that said it's not mm-hmm. right. It's just not right to, you know, do other things when you're someone saying Kaddish. You should be attentive. Like when you hear a bracha to say amen and know what you're saying. So I don't do that. But when there's four Kaddishes, it's very difficult, very difficult to stay attentive. So therefore, both for the sake of the mourners, as well as for the listeners, I suggested one Kaddish per service. Okay, Molly, give us another one. Give us another second one. What was the second I'll one? Catch you on the spot. You had it. No, no, no. I'm, just, I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling to the next chapter. What was the next one? Uh, that's reducing the, the number. Let me just look for the third. Please hold as I scroll through the book. Um, we'll vape. We'll vape. We'll repeating words. Oh, the Chiyav to be Chazen. They're also. Okay, so I'm just going to go to. to, um, to um, <laughs> no, really. Like, and again, I think we're good. Jim is right. Like, oh, my God. He's preaching to the choir totally. But go tell the okay. guy who's your side. Go but tell his, the guy who's your side. Okay, but his answer Sorry, is Mr. Bernstein. But, you but can't die for the Ambed because nobody likes listening to you die. That's why this book is excellent because he's honest and Irv Grinstein is honest and he says, here are how people can be problematic. And therefore the solution is everybody who's new has a training period. After 48 hours, they get suggestions. Um, again, Irv Grinstein, I won't tell, he can speak for himself and tell us about his book, but when he goes through also the types of nigunim you should use, I think his, his analysis of which nigunim are um, resonate and which don't is very, very psychologically astute, and his solutions are therefore also psychologically astute. And I, you know, I'll, I'll leave it back. I'll turn Rabbi, over. Sure. Just to give a give a give yeah. a brief synopsis, what were your solu- um, What was your nigun solution? I read it also, but I want you to share it. My nigun solution, as Molly pointed out, was to be uh, sensitive to, I believe, three things. Number one, to the words. I find it absolutely outrageous that I go to shul and the most happiest parts of davening are sung Mm -hmm. in a funeral tune and vice versa. The most saddest and the most solemn parts are saying a song to Odishama Ba'are Yehuda to the most joyous wedding tunes. I quoted in this regard Rabbi Henkin, Zechonah Levracha, who we Mm -hmm. lost this year, who has a beautiful... I would say small chapter on this in one of his uh, responsum that he called in English, who shall live and who shall die, la, 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 which is basically <laughs> his experiences and shuls on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Namely, who cares what you're saying as long as it fits in with the words? So first and foremost, it has to fit in with the content of the words. Number two, it has to be a tune that the congregation knows. It can't be a tune that only you, the chazin, knows because at night you listen to a YouTube of a great chazin. And it's not about you showing off your voice, but elevating the congregation. And number three, you have to choose a tune that ultimately the congregation will say, wow, this felt like an elevating spiritual experience. So you can use a known tune, say, for Keladon on Shabbos morning. And people will sing along because they know it, albeit they feel nothing. It's that same old tune. They heard it last week. They're going to hear it next week. It has nothing to do with this week and the experiences we went through and whatnot. I mean, recently I was in shul on Shabbat Chazon, which this year, as you know, came out literally a day before Tisha B'Av. And they used the happiest tunes 
that they use every week as if it wasn't Shabbat Chazon. Now, if that was an informed decision, I understand it. Shabbos should be Shabbos, and then tomorrow we'll mourn. But when I actually approached the Chazon, the answer I got was telling. It's the tune that popped into my mind. When you go up there and you say it's the tune that popped into my mind, or as you touched earlier, Molly, the choice of Chazon, when it's, well, he popped into my eyesight, so I asked him to be Chazon on a special Shabbos or a special Yontif, just to, you know, get chakras out of the way. I don't have to think about it. Davening's going to look like that as well. It's not going to be elevating. It's not going to be a spiritual experience. And therefore, I suggested with tunes, those are the three things you have to be sensitive to. I suggested a few more, but those are the three basic. Uh, we'll go to Rabjani. Rabjani, I want you to uh, give us some of your impressions, and then you have some questions for uh, Rabbi Yoshua. Okay, so... Firstly, thank you, and thank you, Rabbi Gunstein, for this enlightening book, which uh, I think we all enjoyed. I just want, I want to begin by just stating what seems, which I hope should be obvious, which is that there is inherent tension in a synagogue between what we call the Prat and the Klal, the individual and the collective. This is inherent tension that exists not just in prayer, but many, many aspects of Jewish living. And what Rabbi Gunstein is basically saying is, perhaps we've somehow got a little bit imbalanced in giving too much priority to some of those individuals who, with the bestest of intentions, want to say the extra Kaddishim, or they want to lead the service in the way they want to, but there needs to be greater sensitivity to the technical as well as the spiritual and emotional needs of the community, as well as the time needs. People have only so much time and as Rabbi Gunstein emphasized, people do sometimes lose attentiveness. They get bored. And boredom then leads to a certain diminishment of the respect shown to the Tefillah service. So what's being discussed is an age-old pro problem, but the problem has somehow snowballed. It's as if prayer has somehow been overstretched in a variety of ways. And what Rabbi Gunstein is trying to offer, based on classic halachic sources, uh, and with great respect for precedent, is that there should be an act of restoration towards what halacha demands and listening and actually to the wisdom of the post-scheme of the past, who for some reason or another, their voices have become muffled by the demands and expectations of the run-of-the-mill um, community. You know, when thinking about this conversation, uh, there's a piece on the piano by uh, um, a composer called Scarlatti. I really like it. And um, when I uh, Scarlatti, if you want to search it, it's Sonata in B minor. And if you look on YouTube, you can hear this same piece played in very, very different ways. Uh, some pianists play it within two and a half minutes, some three and a half, some four and a half. And I, I once wrote a post on Facebook saying, which one speaks to you? Now, interestingly, some people like the slower version. Some people much prefer the faster version. I like the one in between, a bit like, you know, the three bears. It, it is important to note that different people do it have different expectations in terms of the pace of the synagogue service. But what Rabbi Grimstein seems to be saying is, given that, and given that people do like different paces, let's figure out what is core and find an agreeable tempo for that. And everything else, which may well add to the length of the prayer service, let it be up to people. So that though there may well be people who still don't like the chazan who's leading from Yishtabach to the end of the service, well, the service will be shorter. And hopefully if that chazan's been, uh, you know, tr uh, trained and encouraged to be more sensitive to the needs of the community, there'll be less dispute. So all of that is just, uh, shall we say, 
going over what's been said, and I hope um, in a way which is fair and accurate to what Robert Grunstein's written about. Nevertheless, there were one or two things that uh, kind of jumped to me from the pages of Musings of a Minion. Uh, number one was, we, we believe that people get bored in shul, which they do. And, and, and it was mentioned before by Rabbi Grunstein, unfortunately on Shabbat, you have Alonai Shabbat, which uh, I think are disrespectful to the prayer service. And in the weekday, telephones. And I believe that what's provided in this book needs to be coupled with a wider program of education about what is a shul and what is the right behavior. Uh, and I would also add that though sometimes because of extended prayer services, people show a lack of kavod tefillah. There was at least one story in the book relating to how somebody was saying a kaddish at the end of the service while then somebody interrupted with an announcement. I personally think that was just a lack of derech eretz. The issue there wasn't prayer. The issue there was simple human decency and dignity. And so uh, while I agree with so much of what's been suggested in this book, I think it needs to be part of a wider program of education taken on by religious leaders, men and women in communities, where we educate towards what is the balance between the individual and the collective and the shul, how people who lead the services should put the time to prepare properly, and beyond that, how people should behave in ways which are decent and right towards those others around them, even if they may well be aggrieved or frustrated or want to get on with their day, because... At the end of the day, like I mentioned with Scalati, you know, there'll be certain things where you still can't please all the people all the time. So I suppose those are my initial offerings on uh, on this book. I'm sure you want to respond? Absolutely. First of all, I absolutely agree with Rabbi uh, Johnny that education needs to be done about davening and it shouldn't be done during davening. Mm-hmm. I make that point in one of my passages in the book that the chazan's job is not to educate the people how to daven. Uh, the job of educating people how to daven is outside of davening. In my uh, first book called Daven Your Age that I published in 2013, I indeed tried to invest a lot of time and effort in that first challenge that uh, Rabbi Johnny mentioned. And uh, indeed, it shouldn't be done during davening. Therefore, I never liked the gabayim that say shush during davening. It's very much like the control police officer, the mishterita tenua, that uh, sits on the highway. When you see it, you slow down. The minute you don't see it, you speed up. That's basically what happens in davening. But if you have a basic education on davening and respect for it, I believe you won't talk in davening, not during the Chazarat Hashats, not during the Torah reading and many other places, not only because halachically it's forbidden, but because you have that education and that appreciation of what's going on. So I absolutely agree. Number two, the balance between the individual and the community is extremely hard to really find. However, we have to try. I believe. And that's exactly what I tried to do in this book, to try to find that balance so that the individual feels elevated as well as the community at large. And many a times, I think it's tipped in one direction against the other. I'll give you an example from the book that you didn't yet mention. And that is my chapter about the Mishaberach, or to be more precise, the numerous Mishaberachs. Not only is it halachically problematic on Shabbos, in my opinion, to say a Mishaberach in and of itself, but beyond it, it's the endless mishaberachs for each and every person getting an aliyah. So a Torah reading that takes 15 minutes becomes a half an hour ordeal. Now, the individual that gets the aliyah may feel great because he got a mishaberach for him, for his family, for his many, many friends. However, the community is not there. And if hopefully God's listening, 
then Baruch Hashem, God's listening to the Mishabeirach. But beyond God, as I once heard from Rabbi Ezra Bik, there's only two people listening to the Mishabeirach, the Gabai and the person getting the Mishabeirach. So I wonder why it's such a part of davening. That's you know why. The balance. Come on, you know exactly why. Because when if the guy gets his Mishabeirach, then he gives a nice donation. And if, he, if, if his that, name is not mentioned, and that's, and that, by the way, that's a fact. So and the shul needs that, that. The shul needs that 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 those funds in order to function. I mentioned, I mentioned that in the book, and you're absolutely right. And I even gave a way of how to do it in, in a short version. However, not everyone getting a mishaberach is giving a donation. So it's not like okay, give me kavod because I'm donating to the community at large. It's give me kavod just because of kavod. The person that knows the brachot, the two brachot on the Torah, gets the amazing kavod of fifty of I don't know how much time to stand up there and get a mishaberach for this guy and that guy on the cheshbon of the entire community. So no, I don't. I think agree that's with you. I'm just, I totally agree. Okay, uh, we're gonna. On come the back. other hand, yeah, 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 go right ahead. We're going to come back with Rabbi Moore with Rabbi Yoshua Grunstein and talking about davening and ways to fix davening. We'll take a very quick break, a little bit late, but we'll come back right after this. Stay with us. This episode of RZ Weekly is brought to you by Kita for Home Plus. We all know families whose children are not studying in formal Jewish education for any number of reasons. Could be COVID, could be the school wasn't right for them, could be financial, but they still are looking for a meaningful Jewish learning solution for their children. That's why we created Kitah for Home Plus. Kitah for Home Plus is modeled after the world famous Khan Academy using flipped learning, YouTube videos and Google Forms to allow children to learn classic Judaic subjects, Mishnah, Chumash and Gemara on their own time, on their own schedule, in a way that's exciting and meaningful for them to learn. We're starting a new semester of Kitab for Home called Kitab for Home Plus, in which children will learn three courses, Mishnah, Chumash, and Gemara, each week, plus have a Zoom lesson to meet with the teacher, that would be me, as well as interact with other students in the class. Kitab for Home lessons are designed for students in middle school from grades five through grades eight, and focus on basic skills, decoding of text, understanding of shorashim, critical skills that children need that serve as a foundation for Jewish learning throughout their lives. To learn more, log on to kita.org slash home plus. That's kita, K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G slash home plus. And now back to the show. Okay, we're back. Rabbi Yeshua, I want to sort of uh, like frame, you know, you know, we've had uh, spirited discussions not during Chazarat Ashats about davening. So I have a couple of issues that I personally wanted to bring up um, with you. And obviously this is not a critique of you. You're, you're trying to address a problem that we're all aware of. And you're trying within the, within the framework of davening, making, I would say some bold suggestions, really some bold suggestions and sort of leaving others to the side. So first I want to raise some issues and then ask you a little bit about like a question of why you decided to address it or not. So you said that you don't think the problem is with davening, but it's the problem with how we daven or the way davening is structured. And I wonder, I wonder if that's necessarily true for a very simple reason. We as people have changed. I am fundamentally different than my father and I'm definitely significantly different than my grandfather and great-grandfather for a very simple reason. 
Our attention span has gone like out the window. We want to be entertained and we want, we want, we need to be, we need to get to the crux of it in a very, very short time. And we want to do things quickly. That's number one. Number two, people used to go to Davening to hear the Chazan. They enjoyed the music. They wanted to be entertained. They saw it as a performance. I mean, that's a fact. My grandfather loved Chazanas. He would, the, the thing that he loved more than anything was going and hearing a world-renowned Chazan. Here in Yad Binyamin, they have every year, or once, when, they, when they do it, they bring this choir in, like, you know, one of these hip, cool choirs for Davening. People just run for the hills. They just run away. It's unbelievable. Like you would think, oh, it's an opportunity for spirituality and what have you. It's, there's a sense that they, they, they're, they're not looking for that. They want to do their davening and get out and you know, fulfill their chiyuv and not necessarily look for spirituality. They might want to fulfill the obligation. They might want to, they might want to do tefillah, but I'm not sure they actually want to meet palel. And I'm including myself in that, in that list. I think we're all guilty of that in some way. So I'm asking you, one, about the attention span of people. Two, is your thesis that people want spirituality on a regular basis? Do you think that's true? Okay, and then finally, uh, we, we live in a world of individualism, right? I get personalized emails. I get personalized uh, Facebooks. I get, you know, curated uh, curated podcasts for me. Tfilah, the way, the nusach today, unless you have been educated and the vast majority of people have not, is, has, speaks to nothing about my personal needs, my struggles, my concerns. Maybe I'll mention some people that I know who are sick, but tefillah is not moving because it doesn't speak to me. So how would you, how do you, I mean, as I'm, I, how, how do you address these? I think that the problems of tefillah are a little bit more fundamental than that. I, I think tefillah answers other things. I think davening and dominion answers other things, but I'm not sure your solutions, while I think they're, it's great, the discussion I think is really important, address these fundamental issues of lack, lack of attention span, how we've changed, right? Uh, individualism, and I forget what the third one is, you'll remember, and you know, and uh, I would love to hear how you, you claimed people weren't searching for spirituality. And, oh, yes, I didn't And claim. I wanted to argue with you that I think people are- No, no, I didn't say people are not searching. But I don't know if, uh, if a choir is the way that they want to find it, but I would, I would like to hear Robert Bernstein's answer. Yeah, spirituality, well, thank you. I think you brought up uh, three issues, but the first one, I have to admit, I just make an assumption in the book, and that basically it could be an assumption that's correct or incorrect. My assumption is that it's not the sitter and the words and the nusach that's at fault, but rather it's the way we run davening. Namely, I make an assumption that if well, this is the text that we've been using for generations, and throughout the generations, people had a problem with davening, but they continue to use this text making other changes. I'm not so sure it's the text of davening that's the problem, but it's the way we run the communal service. And therefore, my, I didn't write this in the book, but I'll say to you that one of my proofs is during COVID, people did not use an alternative text. They used the same sitter, albeit they were in their homes and they said, wow, it was an amazing Kabbalah Shabbat. It was the most spiritually uplifting davening I had in a long time, but they were using the same text. So that's- I would just push back a little and say that for a vast majority of Jewish history for the last 2000 years, most people did not understand the words that they said. Correct, you're correct. So therefore, the shul experience was a different experience than what it is that we're doing now for the past 
50, 70 years. That, that's just something to think about. A little longer than that. But uh, I acknowledge that most people don't necessarily understand every word, though today, thank God, with translations, it could be done. But as Rabbi Johnny mentioned, that's only outside of davening. During davening, you're not going to look at the translation every two seconds. Number um, two, speak to your attention span, because that's like a real like a real issue. The attention span has no question gone down. And that's an assumption in my book in almost every chapter that we do not have the attention span that we used to. However, I not, I, if indeed I felt that halachically it was required, I would have said it's required. When If the book would be about learning Talmud, learning Gemara, then indeed an intention span is required to understand it. And I have to think of ways of how to do it in a, in a world of the lack of attention span. But in davening, I'm not so sure that it's, that's the problem. The problem is not the lack of attention span. It's the fact that we're prolonging davening and not for a virtuous reason. And therefore... You mentioned two things. Number one was people don't necessarily come to shul to hear the chazan. My experience around the world has been the opposite. People don't come to shul to fulfill their obligation. They're coming to shul for other reasons. It's to say Kaddish. It's perhaps to uh, see friends. It's a social gathering. It's what Jews do every week, whatever it might be. So they are searching for something and they're not necessarily finding it. But it, might not be, it, might not, it might not be the prayer. Well, that's exactly what I found very very problematic, and I'll tell you why. I've seen the same people that perhaps are not going to shul to find spirituality. They're the same people that do go to a kumzitz of this and that singer on a Motzei Shabbos way into the night. These are the same people that go to concerts, Jewish music concerts, to get inspired. So I wonder, the thing that they do most often, let's not say every day, but let's say once a week on Shabbos or once a year on Yantiv, how come that can't be spiritually uplifting? It's in our backyard. Well, two maybe, hours. Maybe together. the answer is just exactly what you said, because they go every day or they go every week. And we, we all were all familiar with the Gemara. But everything, the whole point is, is Kavua. Everything about davening is Kavua. And that might be built into the system. It's, a, it's an inherent problem. I'm not sure. I a think what you quoted, uh, Rav Reuven, is exactly uh, my point. You cannot make davening just a fixed something on your schedule that you have to get through every day and then strike off. It has to be something that's unique and special. And therefore, I don't know if we can do that every day, but we have to try. And in the book, for example, I suggested that a shul should adopt a cause that they're gonna add into their private Amida and the public Amida. And even though someone said it's not right to add to the public Amida, they haven't yet came out with a source to prove it. I said, what's your source? We've added many things to the public Amida from Piyutim to other such things. If there's a drought in Israel, we add Ba'anenu Olam. So there's a cause right now, whatever it might be, a cause that's close to our hearts in this community. How come it's not being added into davening? As per the Shulchan Aruch, and Simon Kufyut Tedavorachaim saying, add it in, not option, but obligation in his language. Therefore, I believe that it's extremely important that davening should not be just something fixated. Number two, even if it is the same text every week, how come the same tunes are used every week? How come it's the same two chazanim every week because they get there on time? There has to be some sort of investment of time and effort. Okay. The same text is going to be said this Shabbos like it was last Shabbos. How do we make this week a bit more inspirational? So the speech might be different because it's a different Parsha, but the text of the davening is going to be the same. The laning is going to be different, but the text of the davening is going to be the same. It can't be the same chazen, and hopefully it can't be the same tunes, because that's the only way davening is going to be spicy. If indeed there's going to be that variation within davening. And I don't see that necessarily happening in all shuls. Okay, I'll turn to Molly. 
Yeah. Oh, you had something to add. I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut you off. I apologize. Just a third point, your final point about individualism, and that's the generation we're living in. There's no question that's a very big challenge today. Despite it all, I see many people that despite they're very individualistic, they still go to shuls. They still want to daven in a minion for whatever reasons. It could be because the Shulchan Aruch says to do it. It could be because it's virtuous. It could be because that's what Jews do. They're still there. So if indeed they're there, let's try to make it the most inspirational as possible by taking out these little problems, because the issues I bring up in this book are not major, in my opinion. They're not these major changes in the Jewish people that are going to ruin davening. The davening text will say the same, but there's certain changes that could be done to make it a more inspirational experience. I'll give one small idea that's, I don't know why I never thought of all these years. And Dr. Michal Tikochinsky was the one that pointed it out to me. She davens in the women's section, and she says the chazen, who's supposed to be the shliach tzibor for us all, all the men and the women and the children in the shul. He looks at this 10 men, and then he starts chazar at the shots. How come he's not looking if the majority of the women are finished davening as well? If he's a shliach tzibor, then have them part be part of it in the sense of, I'm not going to start until the majority are ready. That's now, a different that, podcast there, Rabbi Yeshua. That's, that's a, you're raising a different issue entirely. I'm not so sure I am. I think <laughs> it's a part of the same issue. If you're a shliach tzibur, you're a shliach tzibur for everyone. I'm not suggesting that uh, the woman should be the chazen. I'm suggesting that the man who's the chazen should be looking at the men's section and the women's section before he starts and proceeds on. And that's the pace that he should keep. And that's a small little issue. But quite frankly, it's going to change, in my opinion, the way people feel part of the community. I want to turn to Molly. Molly, do you agree with me about this issue of individualism? And I, you obviously don't agree about this, about people are not searching for spirituality. That's fine. And, and how do you think, uh, first of all, Rabbi Shu, I love that idea. I didn't realize, I didn't see that idea of the community adding something that they decide they want to pray for on, on I guess, on a, on a rotating basis. They should decide in and out. I think that's incredible. Um, how would you, Molly, think? By the way, should... Robert Uvein, in the Amida, not at the end of davening, like an afterthought, let's say Tehillim or Mishabera, right. in the davening, in the midst of the davening, that's where it should be added. I totally, I think that's beautiful. Molly, how would you, do you, do you agree with this problem of individualism or individuality and a lack thereof in prayer, especially the, the daily prayer, even Shabbat, there's, you know, and, and how would you address that issue? So I, I think in terms of that issue, I, I mean, what I always go back to is, um, um, I'm trying to think, I think it's Redemption Prayer in Talmud Torah, the Rav's article, where he basically just, he, he basically says, Shmona Esrei, right, the Amida, is basically, he says man is ignorant of his needs, and Shmona mm-hmm. Esrei is basically a laundry list of what it is that you need. And it's so true. It's just the ABCs of like, if you stop for a minute and think about what's really important to you, and you focus, and you say, right? it's all going to come up, right? It's, it, 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 it's actually a ve- very reflective, meaning it's large enough to relate to each to each person, but it's precise enough. When I'm davening for, I mean, we all met, we mentioned health, but leave aside health. I'm davening for wisdom. I'm, I'm davening to do tshuva. I'm davening for parnasa. I'm davening for um, a, a good government. I'm davening for. Um, oh, we already have that, Molly. We, that's been fixed. Uh, okay, okay, fine. <laughs> I still think there's room for davening, right? Um, I'm davening for wisdom for my leaders. Okay, so again, each that's these are again. I love the way of saying it, which is like these are the things that should be important enough. These are the things that should be important to you, and then there's always shmakolenu for the very personal things. So I think it's that goes back to the education. Um, if we educate people, even just in the very basics of the shmona esrei, I don't think it's an individual problem. And I, I very again, like I, I just have to say, like 
what we're going to see saying so resonates with me. I think it's just clearing away so much of the deadwood and ma making space for its fila. If you just allowed it to be what it's meant to be, I don't think it needs that much radical changes and tweaks. I think if you just figured out a way to, to and yes, there has to be some uh, accommodation. You're, you're right. We have to also teach people. And I think that's an important message in today's world. You're not just an individual. You are part of a community. And maybe you would want it five minutes shorter or five minutes longer. But this is how it's going to be. But if you can find that, like, you know, that, that like, um, that spot in the middle that's inspiring enough and yet traditional enough and yet like like to find the the um, the as always with everything right there's there's individuality and then there are limits and then there's the framework right and we need both we can't live in a world where there's no framework and we can't live in a world where, where where there's also no content individual content so if you find that way of of, of balancing those two things which is what it seems to me that Rabbi sure is trying to do and I love about his answers is they're really practical um, I, I do think this could go a long way. Towards, towards towards solving the problem. It's not going to solve it 100%, but it will give people enough um, opportunity that then they can solve their own problems. Okay, I want to turn back to Rav Johnny. Rav Johnny, you didn't write the book, Rabbi Yoshua did, but do you think there's anything else that you would have added, any other issues that you would have wanted to raise uh, if you were writing such a book? I'm not as qualified as Rabbi Gunstein. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why he, he's on this podcast. But there, there when was, is, by the way, the book about Shekhianu coming out? He, we mentioned, I, I think he mentioned that podcast write, three. When I make time to finish writing. Anyway, uh. but um, which is, there, there was a chapter that I expected to be there, but wasn't, which related to Chazar Tashatz. Now, Robert Gunstein a, is a tremendous Tom and Chochem, and he and I, and I'm sure all of us, are aware. Now, we've had discussions about this after Chazar Tashatz in, right. uh, in, in Ortora. <laughs> right, and the, the Ramam has two truths about this, um, uh, and there are a handful of communities that pass in according to one, and actually uh, just do Hecha Kedusha, but nevertheless, most actually are uh, genuine in terms of reading the other Chuba, and then also the Rivash, if I recall, uh, who affirms that position. The, given the fact that you have charted different options, uh, and given the fact that Chazar Tashat certainly is a fertile ground for boredom, and though the general consensus is not to do that Hecha Kedusha, there are some communities who have taken that torch, and I'm not advocating it i'm simply putting it on the table i was curious wait johnny there are there i am not aware are you aware of a community yeah. that well, only yeah, does not just that. in shahri not in shahri oh, okay. so, not, so for most of i i i trained for three years i lived for three years in a spanish and portuguese school in central mm. london called lord del road and uh, they they do Hecha Kedusha Musaf on Shabbos morning. The Shentov right. Gagin in his Keta Shemtov, he quotes very clearly the Rambam and saying, This is why we do what we do. Yeah. Um, and, and and don't think, by the way, that community is casual towards prayer. To be a Shlech Tib, you have to wear a top hat. That means That's when right. I was Shlech Tib, I had to wear a top hat. When I gave a Drosha, I had to wear a top hat. I'm not even going to go. Are there, there pictures from this event that you I can have share pictures. on the RZ? I, I have pictures. <laughs> I look like an undertaker, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> the key point is, I really, I do. But go, going back to, to it's, it's a serious question, and 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 I and I'm not pushing it personally, but why did you not yeah. have a chapter on on uh, on the Chazal Shatz? Because that really is a major. Uh, a window where many people do get distracted. I do want to talk about one more thing. So once you respond, I'll uh, just say one or two further things, but I'd love to hear your thoughts first. So indeed in this book, um, I did not go and 
put a chapter in of any sort that basically said, let's change the davening as we know it. What I try to do in this book is let's take out the parts of the minion that unfortunately are standing in the way of making the davening as it is, giving it a chance. And therefore, I didn't suggest to take out Chazarat shots, despite all the tshuvas that you mentioned and many more, simply because A, as you pointed out, the consensus is not to, and B, my assumption is that's not the crux of the problem. The problem is all the things on the tangents, from the numerous kaddishes to the length of davening, to the lack of thought into the nigunim, to the sermon being part of davening and not a part of a davening and many other things. And I said, let's do this and give it a chance. And then we can talk about major changes to our davening. But that was my assumption in the book, that these issues are in the way of allowing the davening as it is today to be an elevating experience. I do have, however, a footnote on it, but it's just a footnote. In my former book, Daven Your Age, I deal deal with it. Uh-huh. So, so thank you for that. And I say I understand, and I, I expected that being your position again. I, I know, and I was hoping you'd go farther. I was but there is one. I, I think it's the elephant in the room. I really do. I think that that we live in a time where everyone has a sidor. Everyone knows the words. People do do not find it inspiring at all. You know, some people open their phones, some people open a safer, but I think if you, I, like, I remember, like, it's, I remember quite clearly, one, one image in my mind is Davini Mincha in, in Ortorestone in the Yeshivat Machanaim, and the one person who was listening with focus and intention on Chazarat Hashas is Rabbi Yoshua. Really, but every, everybody else has it. got something else to do. Yeah, but Ruby, the question isn't, isn't whether Zardashat is inspiring. I think Rabbi Yeshua is saying his question is how much do we tamper with um, established minhagim and what, when you take it out, right, you never know, right? That's the, that's the halakhic game is what can you change and what do you need to stay the same? And what, when you take it out, is going to cause damage to the entire underlying structure. And to take out Zardashat is, is much bigger, I think, than I think what Rabbi Yeshua is saying. There's a lot more to do first. If that, that's that's my, you know, reading. Of it. I, I'm, I think right. it's fair. I do think it's fair, but I think in the situation in which we find ourselves, which people really are not answering because they're at Asha. So then there's a there's a complicated issue of, of brachot nebatala, and uh, and all of those things that go along with it. And it's not kavod atzibur. It's not kavod rebbanashalolam. It's just not, you know. And there and so there. I don't think it's a simple thing. I, I really don't think so. Rabjani, you wanted to add one more thing. So, so you know, one more thing, which was, uh, I suppose... Before, Rav Johnny, you add what yes. you wanted to add. I just will say, Rav uh, Reuven, that indeed, I think Chazarat shots can be inspirational. And all the things you mentioned do happen, but it has to be with a chazan, with a proper voice that pronounces the words, puts his voice up and down when he gets emotional and when he should get emotional. There's a lot to do with Chazarat shots to make it that more inspirational, and I don't see that yet happening. Maybe so but then, you, then you really need then you need a professional chazan because to expect that of a lay to expect that of a lay person is asking a lot. It's really asking a lot. I mean, I wish every lay person could do that, but that's asking a lot. Johnny, let's let's uh, go to you. No, so so there was one final thing that I wanted to add, which was there was a, there was a uh, presumption that when the chazan's doing what they're doing, even in terms of uh, uh, kaddish. Just saying amen doesn't really engage the community uh, or they don't feel that engaged. And uh, I, I'm not pres presuming to be the best uh, uh, poster boy of, of Sephardic culture or liturgy, but I, I, I dabble and, I, and I'm Sephardic from at least my origins. 
And we don't see that in the Sephardic service. I mean, and this isn't a criticism because I davened in Minan Ashkenaz. I always have davened in the Minan Ashkenaz. So what you describe as a phenomena, I see and I wrestle with. I answer Shilas for the shul that I attend to. So I'm not, I haven't got a blind spot there. But nevertheless, it's important to know and to note that communities who have a different level of covenant tefillah, for them reciting Amen itself is satisfying, right? And, and not just in terms of Kaddish, but in terms of even Chazat Hashat. Um, and that, I know Rabbi Gunstein isn't saying that because as he said, the, the issue isn't tefillah. But halavai, we could just ponder just a little bit more about what it means to say amen and, and take seriously those words. Because if we did understand that those short responses are meaningful and we had just a higher rung of, of venerance uh, for the overall prayer service and what it represents, even though most uh, Chazanim and the average Sephardic service are not great, they haven't got the most fantastic voices, but it's much more of a communal process. And I think that, yes. I, be I began by saying the difference between the Klal and the Prat, there, even when you have a Chazan, there's a lot more responsiveness, there's a lot more involvement right. by the average person. We go around the shul, you have the kids saying Yimloch, uh, we have it even with the Salichot, where we all recite a line or two, and and uh, you feel a part of something. Whereas a spectator sport, when the chazan's doing that thing, then even when they're saying things that require my main response, as you say, it's just like, uh, I, I'm doing it almost half-heartedly, even though obviously I shouldn't, because I don't re really feel so invested in what's taking place. So I just want to draw that distinction, although I'm sure it's quite familiar to you. And, and I'll just add to with your, with, with your words, Rabbi Johnny, that in a Sephardic synagogue, the chazarat shots that bothers Rabbi Reuven greatly, that's also not just the story of Amen. In the typical Sephardic synagogue, there isn't about, uh, I think, a minute without the congregation chiming in on something. Like, <laughs> everyone screams out. Now, I don't know if this would do it for everyone today, but the thought that, yes, it's not just the chazin, it's the congregation with him. He doesn't allow the congregation to go two minutes without them being involved. It indeed tries to prevent boredom amongst other things. Wow, okay. Uh, I wanna thank Rabbi Yeshua Grunstein for joining us. I think this talk, this discussion about tefillah is important. It sort of challenges us to think about where each of us is, is in our search for our spirituality. Do we go to tefillah? Do we go by road? What are we searching for? And how we can improve our own tefillah as we, as we progress through this uh, Elul, through this Elul uh, uh, period. So the book is called Musings of a Minyaner, Minyaner. It's spelled Minyaner. Rabbi Shua, how do people get it after all this discussion? Yeah, there's a website that you can order it or you can contact me directly and uh, we'll be and uh, you'll be able to get it very easily. Okay, thank you very much, Rabbi Yoshua, for being with us. It's been great uh, reconnecting and uh, we wish you much success in your book. Uh, we're going to end off with Hamlatzot, our weekly recommendation of something you encountered. Rabbi Yoshua, if you want to, you're welcome to. If you have something to show, you'll give me a thumbs up. Let's turn to Molly. Molly, what do you have to recommend? I don't have one. I don't have a lot well, I, I would recommend this book. How's that? I'd recommend this book. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Really, I have a really long poem, but it's really long and it's going to take me like five minutes to read. So you can tell me whether you want me to read it or I'll just... Tell the name. It's a poem? No, tell the name of the poem that you want to share. Okay. People should look it up. That's what I'll do. I'll be on with the poem. I have people... I will, I will post it on the RZ website. Hold on. Let me get the name of it. Uh, I just lost it. Hold on. Here we go. Uh, it is called... It's called... 
Dead air, bad for podcasts. We're talking about Johnny. Oh, you found it? I found the poem, but it doesn't have a title, but I'll read you the first two lines. Okay. It doesn't have a title? Doesn't have a title. Who wrote it? Molly, turn to the microphone. Turn to the microphone, please. So we turn to the microphone. There you go. Poem by John Rodell. Rodell, Rodell, R-O-R-O. All right, I'll read you just the first paragraph and then it'll, it'll whet your appetite for the rest of it. My brain and heart divorced a decade ago about who was to blame for how big a mess I have become. Eventually, they couldn't be in the same room with each other. Okay, I'll skip a little bit. I stay with my brain during the weekend and my heart gets me on weekends and they never speak to one another. And basically the point is about how do you make peace in yourself between your heart and your brain? I won't give you the bottom line. Um, I will tell you that the answer is a very mindful one. And maybe that also fits into tefillah because tefillah is about finding uh, inner peace, which will come when we learn how, I believe, to um, to be with ourselves and with the Fetish Baruch Okay, Rav Johnny. Um, uh, okay, two books that recently joined, or well, recent additions to my bookshelf. Uh, you may well know Mishnat Eret Yisrael is an interesting series by uh, 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 Professor Safrai and his son and daughter, Hannah, whom I knew. Um, and the Mishnah on Masechet Shvi'it, it's being sold at a discount price in uh, Mincers in uh, in um, in Somata Gush, so you can get it for like 40-something shekels. I was reading it over Shabbos. Very, very fascinating. A second book, just to mention, uh, perhaps more broader or more interest to the average listener, is uh, Rabbi Eliezer Malamed's newest volume of Pnei on Tarat Mishpacha, which uh, I've uh, spent quite a bit of time going through, which is not only brilliant as are all his other previous volumes, but also it, it um, highlights how we talk and teach about Tarat Mishpacha and also the guidance we give to Rabbanim, which I'd say is now becoming more, more of the oral traditions I heard and learned from my teachers and now being recorded in books. So there are certain things which I presume are obvious, which are now being put in books which weren't previously. And uh, at some point or another, I'll probably write some kind of blog about it. Okay. However, anyway. you're sure. Do you have a hamlatza? I know I caught you off, off, off guard. If you have one, that's great. If not, we'll... we'll... I have a hamlatza. I don't know if uh, your readers, if your listeners like biographies, but I just read a biography. It's a, it's a, you know, a biography of a certain uh, company that doesn't necessarily uh, be very pedantic about the facts, believe it at that, but it's an excellent biography about the Boston Rebbe called the Rebbe on Beacon Street. It just came out. It shows how a Rebbe, a Hasidic Rebbe, doesn't have to mivater even on one chumrah that he has and yet can outreach to college students, to doctors, to lawyers, to everyone opening up his home and his shul and being able to relate to them all. It really gave me inspiration because throughout these years, I kept on saying you can outreach and not necessarily yourself go and change, quote unquote. Namely, you can stay at your same spiritual level and share it with others. And this book really brought it out. So the Rebbe on Beacon Street, I really enjoyed reading it from cover to cover. Thank you. Okay, I'll end up with my Hamlatza. It's a personal one. I'd like to recommend my son, Petachia, together with a friend of his, you know, already this is the Petachia that wrote our music. He is a buddy musician, please God. And um, together, they put together a, a rendition of Avinu Malkenu. You know, the classic Avidu Malkenu uh, at the end that we all recite together. And uh, I find it, I personally find it very moving and I'm very proud of what he did. You can find it on YouTube. Just look for Avidu Malkenu in Hebrew and Petachia Spolter. And I guess we'll link to it in our, in our, uh, in our, in our show notes. You can find it there. Well, I guess we'll do it somewhere on Facebook as well. Okay. I, know, I listened to that and I thought it was wonderful. I, I, I meant you. to write to you. It was really, I did really too. special and beautiful. Ah, thank you very much. 
Okay. I listened uh, earlier today. It was wonderful. How did you get it? Or did I send it to you? You I sent it to me, Rav Ruvain, and I listened to it, and it was a great rendition of the classical song. It really brought yeah. out a classical song in a new way. Baruch Hashem. Okay. Highly recommended. At least it's my hamlet, huh? Anyway, I want to thank very much Rabbi Johnny Solomon and Rabbi Malibrovsky, and of course, Rabbi Yeshua Grunstein, who's with us uh, uh, today. My name is Uwe Spalter. I want to thank my son Petachia for writing our music. If you enjoy RZ Weekly, please share it with a friend. We'd like to spread the word and uh, and uh, share it on your groups, on your Facebook groups, in your WhatsApp groups. It helps our audience grow. And of course, if you listen on the Apple on the Apple Podcast app, please give us a five star review. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a great day.